0: Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot thrive for 20% off your first order. Hello, I'm Alison Larkin, writer, comedian, narrator, and host of The Jane Austen Podcast, Join me as we embark on a journey through Austen's timeless stories, starting with Pride and Prejudice. The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin is available wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Is it? It is. Oh my
2: God, wow. Welcome. Thanks.
1: Hello. Hello, everybody. (laughs) So this is our What's in the News episode that we have every week, and last week, I think it was last Thursday or Friday, the news about Sudan really started breaking and um, coming in strong through mostly social media, some Western media outlets, and I posted on our Twitter because I had started thinking, like, people are going to wonder why we didn't talk about this. Yeah. And it's because last week we recorded our What's in the News episode early. Yeah. So by the time that was really, really hitting and breaking, we had already recorded our episode.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's been... A lot of stuff has been out for a while. The past month it's been pretty big, but also... For me, it was something that I was aware of and I knew that we would discuss. But also, we've been talking about a lot of heavy hitters lately. We get very, very fired up. And I liked last week's mini episode because we had a chance to just kind of take it easy and enjoy and just talk about other things besides very serious topics, which I think sometimes you and I need to recharge and our listeners probably need to recharge. It doesn't mean that we are not interested in um, the more serious things going on. It just means that sometimes we're not going to get to it right away. So we are going to dedicate most of this episode to talking about Sudan.
1: Yes. Um, It's something that I thought that we really did need to talk about. Yes. Because in large part, Western media outlets are not covering this as strongly as I feel like they should. I Mm -hmm. feel like they are beginning to cover it more, mostly because of pressure from social media, Mm -hmm. which whenever things first started, I started, you know, seeing things crop up through social media influencers, talking about it because there was a media blackout in Sudan, which we'll talk about. Um, And I remember feeling... I think I'm very cynical in that I feel like people kind of do things to bring attention onto themselves. Yes. And that's kind of what I thought was happening here. Well, yeah, because a
2: lot of people do it. It doesn't... Right. It wouldn't surprise me if a lot of people did do it for that reason. And it doesn't uh, surprise me that you would take it as that. Right. At first glance. But
1: you know what? Honestly, even if that's why people are doing it, it doesn't really matter because it is actually important. Yeah. This is actually one of the cases in which really pushing this on your social media can actually make a difference and actually is making a difference. Yeah. So I support it in this case. And honestly, your intentions don't really matter yeah, as long it's as... It's still
2: getting the... Yeah. I guess publicity might be the wrong word, but the, the viewership well, uh, that I it I mean, deserves. publicity,
1: publicity it, yeah. it's true. It's, yeah. it's needed. So let's kind of talk about what's going on in Sudan. Let's talk about what... Um, prefaced the situation, what created the situation
2: that is now going on in Sudan. Yeah, it's it's a long time coming. I mean, when I was in high school, we had a, a club called Save Darfur. Yes. And we all, you know, we had the shirts and that would donate money and all this kind of stuff. That was and a
1: huge deal in the early 2000s. Huge. Yeah. I mean,
2: and I, I went to high school 2006 through 10 and it was still a really big deal then and trying to raise money and awareness for things like that. So this is something that, like, I didn't even realize I've actually kind of known about for a really long time and how it's all kind of led up to this. Right.
1: I mean, e- even in so much as, like, in 2012, I think it was, George Clooney actually went and got arrested, and he was like, we are going to have an an enormous crisis on our hands. And that's what and I mean when end. I say that, like, yes, maybe Western news outlets have been covering this for the last month or so, but this is something that's been going on for a decade. Mm-hmm. Or more, more than than a decade. And, like, nothing has really been happening here. Yeah. I mean, well, okay, so let's start at the beginning. There has been a dictator, President Omar al-Bashir, in Sudan, and he has been the president for 30 years. He became the president in 1989 uh, 1989 Mm -hmm. through a military coup. And has essentially, although he's continued to get, quote unquote, reelected, it's they true. haven't been democratic elections yeah. that have been, um, you know, putting him back into power year after year. Yeah. He's also been guilty of numerous atrocities and human rights violations, including the situation that happened in Darfur.
2: Yeah, he was actually, um, there was an issue for his arrest in 2009 on charges of genocide and war crimes in Darfur and other arrest warrants in 2010. And then in 2014, the case was suspended because of a lack of support from the United Nations Security Council, which is really disappointing.
1: Yeah, so the way that he's been treating his people for a long time Everything was just kind of, like, bubbling over for a long time. I mean, yeah. since since George Clooney kind of came out and talked about it in 2012 and before then, but yeah. that was kind of like there was a national spotlight here in the United States on it for a moment there. There were people dying of malnutrition at that point. Oh, yeah. So in December, everything started to kind of, like, bubble to the surface right. with the Sudan uprising
2: right and i i was reading a lot online and the a big question was he's he's been arrested in april he was uh removed from power a military control would then oversee the transition of power he had several other former members of his regime oh sorry he and several former members of his regime are being held in the i don't know if it's Cobra. yeah Cobra maximum security uh, prison, and he faces five counts of crimes against humanity and two counts of war crimes. So it's like, okay, he's he's been arrested, so what what are they protesting is a lot of right. people's question. But just to... Okay, so I want to rewind the clock just a little
1: bit since this is like a feminism podcast yeah. because there is actually something really interesting that was happening in Sudan during the initial protest. So from mm-hmm. December until he was arrested in April, yeah. there were a ton of demonstrations and rallies and protests going on that actually did garner some international attention. Uh, there was one very famous photo that I will post on our Instagram of a protester who was a woman who was standing on top of a car, Mm -hmm. and she was in this kind of, like, white outfit that was supposed to be reminiscent of women in the, like, 60s and 70s whenever they were protesting. It was kind of, like, a throwback to that. And so along those lines, I really wanted to highlight the women of Sudan here during this initial uprising. So the movement started off uh, on an optimistic note with the nation's women at the heart of demonstrations. So... I got a lot of this information from two different CNN articles, and then I Same. also listened to an episode of a podcast called Ethnically Ambiguous, which is two Middle Eastern women who cover Middle Eastern news, wow. and they talk about it every week on their show. So wow. they they I did talk about, about this last week, yes. Um. So this is from one of those CNN articles. I'm just going to straight read from it. I'll put this article along with the other CNN article in our footnotes. Good
2: idea.
1: Um. But here's here's an excerpt from that. Weeks into the protests that would eventually topple Sudan's dictator, the government realized it had an unprecedented problem on its hands. The number of women in the streets calling for change far outnumbered the men. So the regime's top brass sent a chilling message down to its officers on the ground. Break the girls, because if you break the girls, you break the men. Mm -hmm. What followed, several uh, officials told CNN, was a systematic attempt to target the women at the heart of the biggest anti-government protest in decades. In the early months of the uprising, soldiers began to arrest women on the front lines in the capital, Khartoum, and activists say... Take them to secret detention sites where they were photographed naked and threatened with sexual violence. But Omar al-Bashir's 30-year grip of power began to slip. Soldiers began to make good on their threats. Some women were beaten senseless by police in public. Others were dragged into the vehicles of security forces and raped, activists said. "'The orders from the regime were clear, according to one intelligence officer. "'We all know what it means to break a girl,' he told CNN. "'The assaults set off a ripple effect of abuse. "'Husbands began to divorce their wives out of shame, "'and fathers beat their daughters into submission "'in an attempt to keep them at home. "'But time and time again, the women returned to the streets, "'throwing tear-gas canisters back at the military, "'climbing atop car roofs to urge the protesters on, "'and manning food and drink stalls to help in any way they could.'" So women in Sudan, despite being horrifically, I mean, they were systematically targeted in an effort to quell this protest, in an effort to, they thought if they could break the women, they could break break the men. They were
2: being used.
1: They were being used because they were out in record numbers, but you know what? They continued to fucking show up. Yeah. And, like, that's not a sacrifice that anybody should ever have to make because it's horrific but these I I just feel like whenever I was doing the prep for this episode and the research for this episode I was just blown away by the people of Sudan like their heart in this whole thing they continue to show up
2: their passion and persistence for democracy
1: it's it's incredible
2: believe because they know what they deserve and they know what they're getting isn't Enough, and it's like if I have to go through hell and back, whether that means my life, my sanity, my body—they're right. willing to make that be something that could propel this movement forward. Because clearly now it's gotten bad enough that we are set, we are finally well. They taking just, notice. You, you like you also have to take into account a lot of these people. These are young women, a yeah. lot of them,
1: and. They're women your, your age and my age. Yeah. And so this whole crisis in Darfur was happening when we were in middle school and high school. Yeah. So they were in middle school and high school. They grew up so with So let's talk a little bit about what that was. So it was estimated that more than 15,000 villagers were killed by the government-backed Janjaweed militia between 2003 and late 2004 in Darfur, mm-hmm. and millions of Sudanese people were displaced. The Janjaweed militia was also accused of raping women in Darfur, and the government was accused of using chemical weapons against the community. So this is something that they have grown up with. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's something that they're very familiar with, and they're at their breaking point. So I can very much see that they're at a place where it's kind of like, it doesn't really matter what happens to us as individuals, we need to secure this future.
2: The idea of it being these young women who are uh, being the faces of this change and this movement... Um, reminds me a lot of the generation who's in high school, middle school right now, who's fighting against uh, gun violence. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the ones that grew up, you know, post-Columbine. You know what I mean? They, they grew up that way and they see how wrong it is. And, and they have taken it in their hands to attempt to make some change.
1: So to kind of piggyback on what you were saying uh, before, so eventually, after months and months of protest, because the protests began initially about poor living conditions and Mm -hmm. lack of food and people dying of malnutrition, and then it escalated into a
2: protest to try and overthrow Omar al-Bashir. And at that point, it kind of, to me, it seemed like it became about um, prevention of The whole situation happening again, you know, not having this person put into power and perpetually doing horrible things and continuing to be reelected in really shady, non-democratic ways. Right. And wanting it to be a... Uh, an opportunity for people to start choosing their leaders. Right. So after he kind of was taken out of
1: power, of course, the people were overjoyed. There was a lot of celebrating in the streets. They yeah. thought they'd won in, in one respect. And so they were talking to military leaders who were saying, okay, we're going to work with you on a however many months yeah. you know, plan to transition power into a democratic process to give it back to the people. And then they kind of pulled back on that. They kind of Mm -hmm. reneged on that. And instead of it becoming a democratic process, they were leaving a lot of the people in charge who had been in charge whenever... um, Omar al-Bashir. Omar al-Bashir was was in charge. So a lot of his people were still high up in the military. Uh And so what it felt like then to the people was... We're just going to have another dictator take his place. Like exactly. that's what's going to happen here exactly. if you don't allow the people to kind of take over in this situation, and that is what has kind of spurred on the most recent spat of of demonstrations, which yeah. has led to really really terrible uh, bloodshed.
2: Yeah. So this activist Omar Al Neel told CNN. All Sudanese people are in the street and demanding the downfall of the regime and not recycling the same people. So the people of
1: Sudan began a peaceful campaign, which includes not going to work and general civil disobedience for a civil state.
2: Yeah, they're um, saying that the streets of... Is it, is it Khartoum?
1: I think it's Car- Khartoum. They're
2: saying that the streets are, like, mostly deserted. And a lot of, like you said, it's it's very peaceful protest. Um, on May 13th, there was a sit-in in the capital. And um, un- unidentified attackers opened fire, and a mil- military police officer was killed. There was 118 dead total, and a large number of the protesters were injured as well. So these are, like uh, again, very, very peaceful protests, and they are being treated Right, these people are, are unarmed.
1: Um, yeah. A lot of it is just refusing to go to work, refusing to open shops. It's essentially like a strike. Yeah. And there were i think 3 people during this strike who were killed unarmed people who were killed during this protest and a lot of other people who were working jobs that the government considered to be essential mm-hmm. were forced at gunpoint to go back to work mm-hmm. so so that that all happened and there was there was just continued bloodshed in the street on and off so very recently A bunch of soldiers and paramilitary groups uh, opened fire on a pro-democracy sit-in in in Khartoum, Mm -hmm. leaving at least 118 people dead. That's from the Central Committee of Sudan Doctors. Forty bodies were pulled from the Nile, and doctors have been reporting more than 70 cases of rape during this attack. The government has admitted to only 61 deaths and hasn't bothered to address the accusations of rape at all. The World Health Organization has reported at least 784 people in Khartoum have been wounded in the last week as a result of military confrontations, and the massacre has horrified human rights activists and governments worldwide. Yeah, Sudan is sliding into a, quote, human rights abyss, according to the United Nations, and they are calling for an independent investigation.
2: Yes. So... For what the United States is doing to attempt to, to help them out, um, critics have definitely accused the White House of inaction because, of course, it's Donald Trump, What what do you expect? But there's a man named Donald Booth, who is a retired U.S. ambassador and former special envoy who will lead the U.S. efforts. He served as special envoy for Sudan and South Sudan from August 2013 through January 2017. He traveled to the region this month where he where he and two other U.S. officials will urge the Sudanese security forces to end their attacks at, on civilians, withdraw the paramilitary raid support forces from the city, and allow independent investigation of recent violence. So there, it seems like... Finally, there are other countries who are intervening and, and attempting to get involved. And something about this man, Donald Booth, that I that really stood out to me is that he's he's retired. He's done. Like he, so, he's, he's doing this his of work. his own. Exactly, delition. he knows that he can do good and um hopefully make a change. And that made me really happy. That stood out. It's just unfortunate. His name is Donald. Yeah, um, I was like, oh, and Donald has been ruined for everybody. sullied the good name. We just have to think of Donald Duck
1: <laughs> or Donald Glover. That's true. So, yeah, when talking about like something that things that we can do, um, donate to UNICEF. UNICEF has really been working hard to kind of help the situation that's been happening in this region. They also have a focus, and I think that this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, they have a focus on, the lasting impact that this is having this is having on children who have grown up with this violence mm-hmm. and what that's doing to the children of the last couple of generations who have grown up in this kind of unrest, and um, trying to figure out how to navigate that and get yeah. them the kind of help they need.
2: Yeah, one thing to be aware of, though, another article that I read is a lot of fake Instagram accounts who are asking for money and donations and yes. things like that. So There's
1: t- a couple verified GoFundMes, Yeah, uh, but other than that, you really need to be very careful yeah. about donating. You can do it with the best intentions, but just know that people suck, and there yeah. are all these people out there who are trying to like take advantage of you.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like Coney 2012.
1: Yes, girl. I know could,
2: someone who did that.
1: We can have a whole talk about that. Right. Um. Okay, so another thing that you can do, and I just want to talk about this really quickly, and this is the last thing that we have to talk about or I have to talk about about mm. this subject. Um, there was a media blackout in Sudan, with the government cutting off access to the internet, and that made it difficult for protesters to communicate with each other, and it also made it hard for people, for the people of Sudan to communicate what was happening to the outside world. So sharing what is happening in Sudan, actually, you know, sharing that to your social media accounts, actually is important. It actually does do something. I do encourage
2: that you do that. Changing your profile pictures to, like, that dark blue, it made me Google it. It made me want to figure out what was going on. So... As you may have noticed, a lot of
1: people have been changing their profile pictures to this color of indigo. We did that on our Instagram. Uh, I've noticed a lot of people, especially on Instagram, but also across other social media platforms, Twitter and Facebook, uh, that are also doing that. And I will explain why that is something that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. So Mohammed Hashin Mantaj was 26 when he was gunned down by Sudanese security forces last week. And his favorite color was this shade of indigo blue, and mm-hmm. it has become a symbol of Sudan's pro-democracy uprising. Thousands have changed their avatars to the same color, including the hashtag blue for Sudan. It started off with Mohammed's friends and family, it was his favorite color, and his display picture on all his social media accounts. So... Oh, wow. Th- that's how it, kind- how it started. It was his Instagram, it was his yeah. Twitter, you know. And now it represents all martyrs and standing in solidarity with the people of Sudan. Wow. So I know it can seem like this gimmicky, hopping on the bandwagon, Kony 2012 kind of thing that people jump onto. But in this case, because there was a media blackout, because the Western media outlets have not been sharing these stories the way that they should, influencers and, like, people on social media platforms sharing this and not letting people forget about it actually is doing some good in, it's, in it's, this case
2: it's creating um curiosity it's making people research mm-hmm. look things up it's bringing it to the public's attention and if they can't post things on social media and communicate with us we need to do the best that we can to yes bring awareness and to
1: i it. mean guys really like this there's a reason why we're spending most of our episode talking about this this is an atrocity yeah Hundreds of people are injured. Hundreds of people are dying. Hundreds of people are being raped, um, sexually assaulted. It is horrifying what's happening. And it's it's happening by their own government. Yeah. Which is terrifying. It's this is terrifying. their home. And they've been living under a dictatorship for 30 fucking years. Um, yeah. So it is something that I really, really want us not to get distracted and... Pay attention to these things because they happen in a part of the world that people don't want to pay attention to. So, yeah,
2: especially in the U.S., I feel like it's so easy for people to um, push away thoughts when it comes to Middle Eastern countries because of or so African much of, countries. Yeah, yeah. And, sorry, in African countries because of um, our fears and our prejudices against those people and we need to be bringing it to the forefront to change that narrative, I think. And I'm hoping that through a lot of the uh, social media activism that's going on, that hopefully we can start um, more broadly changing that narrative. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I have... I, I always feel silly bringing up things after the main topic, <laughs> but we did have someone message us saying that they wanted us to talk about this, and I had already taken my notes, and I was like, just it's, you it's wait. It's a good cap. It's a good know, cap. It's like, a palate cleanser. Let's bring it down a little mm-hmm. bit. It's not as important, but it is still an interesting conversation. So, Taylor Swift came out with a new song called You Need to Calm Down. I have not even heard it. I, I hate myself for liking it. I hate myself. You don't have to hate yourself. But I'm bopping along. I That's date, what she's good at. I date a music snob, so I'm like, oh god, because I and I usually don't like a lot of her but like recent stuff. Here's the thing about pop music, like pop music. It, you're supposed to
1: be able to project whatever you're feeling onto pop music. Pop, mu- good pop music does that, and I don't have any hate for good pop music. That's what it's here for. Exactly. Like it's it's here. For, it's here
2: for good vibes and good yes. dancing and whatever. It's like here I'm for not, a summer pool party. That's I'm what it's here for. You analyzing know, analyzing it, whatever. But in this case, I am analyzing. Yes. it. Yes. So, the song itself, and also kind of in the video, it starts out with her kind of talking about some of the negative responses she gets on the internet as a celebrity. And she's, you know, she throws, she tosses the phone in her trailer park and the whole thing sets on fire and she walks away. And then as she's walking away from the trailer, we start seeing all of these different... Why is Taylor Swift in a, in a trailer? I'm sorry, I haven't seen this yeah, video, I don't, but I'm like... I mean, she's glammed out. Like, she's in, like, a pink puppy coat and, like, bedazzled glasses. And it's kind of like a glamorous trailer park kind of thing. And she steps out, and it's this, I don't know like, why that rubs me wrong, just because I'm like, it's Taylor, weird. you've
1: never been in a trailer in your fucking life. There's a
2: lot of really weird things that happen in this video that I think uh, people gloss over. And then... She walks out, and it's a bunch of different LGBTQ celebrities throughout the video. There's like forty some cameos in this video. It's insane. Everyone from Adam Rippon to the Queer Eye guys to Ellen DeGeneres to fucking RuPaul, the, I think RuPaul, I, I heard and is in it. Jesse Jesse Tyler Ferguson and his husband. It's like a Laverne Cox. It's a plethora of the LGBTQ celebrity community. So it goes on then to talk about. You know, there's the whole line, shade never made anybody less gay. Um, Why are you mad when you could be glad, but it's G-L-A-A-D of course, or glad. And so there's a lot of really positive things that we can take from this. But... To me,
1: that feels so fucking pandery. Exactly. Like, I, I, I get it. And, like, whatever exposure is exposure, obviously yes. a lot of people... Whenever we, agreed to be in this video, so yeah. fine. But it feels like you are using gay people as an accessory, and that
2: annoys me. 100% vegan like, So, people are saying, you know, anytime that we can see this community on our screens, it's a positive. Great. yeah. But, here are some things. So, it features her basically comparing the plight of the taunted celebrity with the horrible persecution that the trans and LGBTQ community have gone through. They also show these homophobic people who are, like, hillbillies, missing teeth, really, like, Stereotyping holding them. picket signs that are saying things like, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Like, a very outdated kind of... I mean, it, of... not to say it doesn't still happen. I'm absolutely sure that it does. But, like, yeah, i But I'm... the thing that bothers me is that those aren't the people who are affecting our legislation, absolutely. Not who policy. are affecting our policy, mm-hmm. who are affecting the grand scheme of our population, absolutely. especially in the United mm-hmm. States, those people aren't the problem. The biggest... I mean, they are a problem. They, they are a problem. They're a huge fucking problem, but, but the problem... it's distracting. Exactly. It's not focusing on the rich and powerful who actually have a lot of influence. Just far more insidious, because it's,
1: exactly. it's, it's a prejudice that might be... Um, less out in the open and less
2: loud, but is far more dangerous. Exactly. And the only image of persecution that has faced the LGBTQ community really is a scene where a man is painting the Stonewall Inn. But who is painting the Stonewall Inn? Ryan fucking Reynolds? The only straight person besides Swift in this entire video is like... He's got like a paintbrush in his mouth and he's like painting... Like the burned and broken Stonewall in. And that perplexes me. And people are like, "Oh, they're showing allyship. This whole thing is allyship. And but you're fear, shifting the focus, like to me, exactly. And that's I, so obnoxious. And allyship. I read something very interesting where they're talking about allyship, how, There are allies who are doing good, and there are allies who are stealing the spotlight. Absolutely. The fear for many in the LGBTQ community is that allies may change and defang what queerness, and I'm quoting this from The Atlantic, means. The A in LGBTQIA+, is often mistaken to mean ally rather than asexual or aromantic. And there's a quote that said, if heterosexuals become overly important in the gay movement, then it becomes harder to talk with precision Mm -hmm. about what the movement is actually for. Amen. It's so, not about us. I think about yeah.
1: this every time Pride comes around, because it's not like I don't want to, like, slap my face in glitter and put on a rainbow tutu and go to Pride. Like, I do. It's turned but into a party. it's not about me, yeah. and I'm very, very aware of, like, I don't want to make these events that are meant for a marginalized community yeah. about the straight community. Well,
2: and you bring up a- another point that I had written here where a lot of people have turned Pride into being this party. I have mm-hmm. a lot of friends, especially back home, where it's like, it's Pride! Like, let's get drunk and wear rainbows and yeah, sparkles. It, I'm, I'm sorry, it's and not St. Patrick's Day. It's not. It's a, It's really... It, it distracts the focus of what Pride is supposed to be. Explainer Hervox Vox Alid Abad Santos says, It's hard to shake the feeling that the commercialized mass appeal has further dampened the Pride Month's fiery political roots and helped obfuscate the less pleasant, less talked about issues that matter for many people in the LGBTQ community. So he is talking about how it is taking away from where we need to be putting our focus and where we continue continually need to be focusing on change and bettering the community rather than it's, it's not there's pride it's a celebration but at the same time it's a time for us to focus on where things need to change and as an ally you should be focusing on how you as a straight person can help make positive change.
1: And to be spreading the history of what pride really is, because I feel like that is a weapon that a lot of homophobic people put in their arsenal, Uh that pride is just a party where you can walk around half-naked and they don't understand. You as an ally should be spreading the information... Of how Pride started. Yeah, you, Pride should, was you a should not riot. be celebrating. <laughs> right, I mean, like, of course, like, be an ally. Celebrate with your, like, your your LGBTQ totally. friends. But also, like, your job is also to listen. And it's also to stand up for your gay friends whenever things happen. And it's also to spread information about, like, how Pride started. It's an everyday that's thing. what. That's what your job is. And exactly. And, I don't know, this video, you know how I feel, like... There are things about people like Taylor Swift and Miley Cyrus that rub me really wrong. And it's not to say that everything they do is wrong or that their heart is in the wrong place. It's just to say that glomming on to marginalized cultures and identities because... Like releasing this during Pride was such a strategic move on her part, I mean, and like there,
2: there were positives in the fact that the, since she mentions Glad, they've received ridiculous amounts of donations. Fantastic, you know, I love that. But yeah, you know, you know, still, I still mixed feelings about this sort of thing. Well, and, and the other thing that really you know put the cherry on top of the sundae for me in my pissed off mindset is the fact that the video ends with her and Katie Perry mending their relationship she's dressed as she a made thing- it about you she's dressed as french fries and Katie is dressed as a hamburger and they see each other and they come together and they hug and everything's happy. To me, that doesn't feel like it's the time. Like, it's I'm just not, like, this isn't not the, time the time to turn
1: this around. If you're truly trying to make a statement, making there's this all about you going on
2: in one song. and your
1: c- celebrity, it it undermines your whole message. And well, then,
2: like, I just don't like it. I don't know. And the thing is, is that the whole song is not about that. To me, the first time I heard that song, it was like there's mentions of, of Pride and I was like, that's so cool. And then I see the video, and that's, like, the premise of the whole video. feels gimmicky. Yeah, it's so gimmicky, yeah. yet she's starting talking about mean tweets she gets. She's like, damn, at 7 a.m., like, I'm starting my morning off with this, like, hate mail. And then it moves on to something so serious that that I'm I'm hoping is making people think and is thought provoking that they do their own research Mm -hmm. and then it's ending with something that's very selfish but one thing that is important to note is that she's made it very clear that it was pretty recent that she started being politically active, not just to the public, which which we've talked about, but in her own personal life. Mm -hmm. Not just to the public, but personally. I'm not surprised by that. No, not at all. And I applaud her for starting to become more politically active and wanting to be a part of that conversation because she has such a voice and such a large audience. Mm -hmm. So we have to forgive her a little bit at, at times for not always getting it right. She does have a lot of people around her who I think could be guiding her a little bit better with certain things. But we we do have to you know, give her credit where credit is due. Sure. Yet still, critique. Yeah, I, you the know, things her downfalls because she needs that. She can't continue to do the those same things. Same way
1: about her as I do about Miley Cyrus. Like they, to me, they're on the same I level. And Miley
2: at least identifies as being. Yeah, but clear. that's part
1: of the problem with her yeah. because she had a thing after she married Luke Hemsworth where she was Liam. like whatever, where she, that brother Hemsworth brother where she came out and was like. Because she identifies as pansexual where she's like, I think this is a real win for the queer community because it says that, like, even though you're queer, you can still marry a man and you're still queer. And I'm like, yes, you can marry a man and you're still queer, but, like, you're centering yourself in a way that I think is so gross, and you're glomming on to these identities It just... Uh, to me, and this might be wrong, and I might get some hate for saying this, but, like, to me, both Taylor Swift and Miley Cyrus, they do this thing. Miley Cyrus did it with the black community as well. Yeah. Where they do this thing where they don't want to be rich, boring, white girls. <laughs> Privileged white girls. And so they glom on to other identities. Yeah. In order to make themselves more interesting. There's other and, like, ways
2: to do it that's very fascinating. And I'm not saying
1: she's not a member of the the LGBTQ community. I'm not saying that I'm undermining mining her sexuality in any way. I'm just saying centering your relationship with a man and yeah. your marriage to a man yeah. as something that is some benchmark win. win for the LGBTQ community is so misguided it's, and it's like tone deaf. It's very bizarre. But, um... I think Taylor Swift's intentions were good. Like, I understand... Kind of. I think they were as good as much as anything she does, because as we said in our Problematic Faves episode, I don't think Taylor Swift does anything without carefully calculating
2: how it is for her image. Her release dates, her Easter eggs. Right. There's There's no way that,
1: like, she would ever do anything that would be hurtful to her own image. So, I think that she did this with the best of intentions as much as you can within capitalism, you know? So, um, so yeah, I have mixed feelings about it, but
2: yeah. Okay. So guys, (sighs) you guys, that was a lot. So our cutoff for our coming out stories is done, but we lengthened when we are going to be recording that episode. So if you haven't sent one in and you're worried that it's too late, go ahead and send them in and we'll we'll just keep taking them. We'll you keep know? taking
1: them. If, if it's too late, you know, we're sorry if we don't get around to reading it on our episode. We'll try and make time for it maybe during a mini episode another yeah. week. Uh, but definitely just go ahead and send it in anyway if you're yeah. thinking about it. We've gotten a few more this week, so we're really excited to record that episode. Um, and you can send in those coming out stories or your sister solidarity stories to neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. You can also get us on Instagram. Again, thank you guys. We are over ten k on our Instagram, Woo-hoo! which is awesome. And now we we're ten k downloads. We got a hundred thousand downloads. Hundred thousand downloads. That's yeah. I mean. So Woo! we we hit we're. Over our 100,000 download mark, and that's a huge accomplishment for us, so thank you guys for doing that. We are so happy that you're enjoying the show, and, you know, you continue to tune in every week and listen. That's so important to us. It makes us feel really good, and, um, you know, if you're wondering what you can do for our show, just tell a friend. Talk to people about it. That's really the best thing that you could do. For us, it's it's so helpful to us, and we thank you so much. Yeah, word of mouth has been a very powerful thing. Yeah, absolutely, um, you can also follow us on Facebook. We have a business and a group page. You can review us on our business page. You can also review us on Apple Podcasts. We would love more reviews there. Uh, we'll feature you on Reviews Day Tuesday. We you can sure will. get us on Yamp Podcast, Y A N F Podcast. You can listen to us on yes. Radio Public. I just had a friend of mine recently. She listens to Radio Public every week. Mm-hmm. She listens to us on Radio Public every week. And it is a small but very helpful way yeah. uh, to support the podcast. So,
2: yeah. Yeah. thank you guys, so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed another mini-episode. With all that being said, we encourage you to, to rage on. John. Bye. Bye.